0: Hello, everybody. It's good to be here. Two times in a row? Awesome. Um, wow. Two thumbs up. So after church this past Sunday, um, someone came up, a friend of mine came up to me and he's like, hey, KJ, it's time to begin talking about our elk hunt um, that's coming up. And I uh, He's, he's like, it's, it's coming up. It's super close. And I was like, oh, wow, I haven't even thought about the elk hunt and, and playing that and putting it on the calendar. And so from the, that point on, all I've been able to think about is elk hunting. So I'm going to apologize ahead of time. This whole sermon is about elk. Um, it's just so heavy on my mind um, that that's just saturated in elk and so, um, so I went home, and I told, told my wife, I'm like, it's time to start planning for my elk hunt. And, of course, she does not care at all. And I'm like, but this is the year I'm going to get the big one, because it's always about the big one that you don't ever get. Like, And and, and to be honest, if you ever got the big one, it would be like, Bummer! I got the big one, and it's just like this thing that's kind of out there that keeps you going forward. And and, and I said, it's it's going to be the time we're going to get the big one this year. And, and she goes, why is it important to get the big elk? You know. And so I'm like, and so I t- told her, like, the bigger the elk, the smarter the elk. You know, the bigger the antlers, that means that the elk has been there forever, and it's. Sm- And you can't, you know, just do your typical hunt. You need to hunt harder and hunt harder because the tiny elk, the tiny bulls, they're easy to hunt. Like, they're stupid. Tiny bulls are stupid bulls. How you hunt tiny bulls, you just do the easy things. You do the easy things. You hunt them by challenging, like, how powerful they are. Because the dumb elk are all about showing how powerful they are. But they're not powerful at all. They're idiots, you know? They're these tiny elk. And they're like, we're powerful. And like, mm, no, you're not. And they always come into an elk call. And then the other thing that, that, that the tiny elk, they always do, they're always hungry. They're trying to find f- food, you know? And so even if, you know, they are fully aware that the space that they're going totally isn't, not a Safe place at all, there will be a tiny bull everywhere. You know, tiny bulls are dumb. And so you're able, you know, like to, you know, challenge the tiny bulls by hunting the place that there's food to eat. You're able to challenge tiny bulls by challenging their power. And then you're able to find the tiny bulls by going to the places that they think they are completely safe. And those places are easy to find. And these bulls think they're safe in these spots. And if you go there, there's all the tiny bulls. But the big bulls, they don't, like, fall to the old bag of tricks that hunters do all the time. You're able to call all you want, but your big bulls, they're not going to come in. You're able to hunt the food plots you know, all day long, the big bulls aren't going to be there. you're able to go to a place that all the other bulls are hiding, the big bulls won't be there. These big bulls, they're the six by sixes, they're the seven by eights, the seven by eight bulls, they're called, they're called monarchs, they're the king bulls, and I haven't ever seen a monarch before, ever. But there's something about a monarch bull that just says that that's like a superhuman bull. How did it get there? How did it survive for so long? And this past year, I had this thought. I was like, what would it be like for a, a person to be a six by six? You know, like a person who didn't it fall to the typical bag of tricks that it seems that everyone is falling towards. You know, what is it to be a six by six? And who are the six by sixes that I know? And, and I started thinking about it. I was like, I can't think of a single six by six. But there's, there are plenty, like, like f- f- four by fours, and there's plenty of f- five-by-fives, and there's t- there's plenty of us who are these tiny bulls who are just stupid, who fall for the typical bags of tricks that are thousands of years old that happen over and over and over again, but who are the six-by-six six bulls? And so this past year, I've b- b- been on this quest, you know, to f- find the... St- six by six, to find the seven by eight, like, who, who I could kind of, you know, hear from. Like, how do I survive being human? How do, do I quit, you know, falling into the same old dumb stuff that the primal instincts in me keep saying, well, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, and I fail, and I fail, and I fail. So, so we're in this sermon series called, called Jesus' Unexpected. And so Pastor Allen's been doing this sermon series, and it's on, you know, the story of Christ and the thing that he's doing and, and how his, his heart just changes everything. His compassion changes everything. And so I'm still on this quest to find the six by six. And then I find out that I have to do a sermon series on the temptations of Christ. And so I'm doing, I'm, I'm pulling this apart in chapter four of the gospel of love. And, and the temptations of Christ are the three typical tricks that everyone falls towards. The trick of food, the trick of power, the trick of safety. And he denies all three. And it, it, and it was kind of like, here I am in Sunday school because, of course, Jesus is the answer. Like, it was like, oh, Jesus is a six-by-six six man. Jesus is a six-by-six six monarch bull. Duh. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I thought, that was just brilliant that how he plays the game how, how he beats the hunter how he gets out of, of temptation is brilliant and so, so today's sermon is on the temptation of Christ and how he fights against the typical bag of tricks that seems to keep everyone from succeeding. That seems to keep everyone from going forward. That seems to keep us down from being who we were truly created to be. It's brilliant. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's start in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 verse 1. One. And it's going to be up here also. And so as a congregation, here we go. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Okay, let's stop there. So, so for 40 days he goes out into the desert. Desert. He doesn't eat the whole time. He's hungry. Cool, right? The f- first question I have is, why is Jesus in the desert and for f- 40 days? That's crazy, right? And, you know, you, why would you go there? Especially this passage comes directly after the passage that Jesus is baptized, and J- Jesus has this op- this fantastic. B- b- that the clouds, they open up, that the Holy Spirit comes down, and God says, this is my son. So if you are a pastor, here's the perfect time to get the job done. You, You know, you have the hand of God upon you. You have the authority of God on you in a public proclamation. It is time to go and tell people the thing that is up. But he does just the opposite. Instead of going to town, he goes into the wilderness. He goes into the desert. He goes to spend time by himself and apparently also the devil. How cool is that? And so so, so, so he's going out in the desert because there also is this Hebraic tradition he has to f- f- fulfill. So during this time, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and the Essenes have this this habit and this tradition of going back to the desert and following the footsteps of the people who have come before them um, to experience the things that they experienced, to experience being, being sustained by God, to experience being out in the Desert. The Hebraic people spent 40 years being sustained by God back in the desert. So the credible, the credible Pharisees and Sadducees and the Essenes go out into the desert to spend 40 days to be sustained by God, to encounter God, to, to encounter themselves, to challenge themselves. Do I have what it takes to serve the Hebrew people? Do I have the things of value? You know, can I say, you, I'm gonna hold out till God shows up? And if God doesn't show up, I'm going to d- d- die. Do I have the f- faith of the people who came before me? And whenever the, they come back from that, that they are all set to go. So Jesus just got baptized. And now he goes out for 40 days to to be tempted in the desert, a place that there isn't any food, a place there isn't any water, a place that there isn't any direction, apart from the presence of God. It's a place that God has to show up or you die. And this is very, very similar to, you know, in Star Wars, whenever Skywalker, he's like, I need to be... a. Jedi, and he has to go to the Dagobah system, you know, the place that just horrible things are to encounter his own face. It's the same thing. It's this this test of manhood. It's this test of of trial. And do you have what it takes to offer the Hebrew people the voice of God? And so, so in the Desert. he finds himself hungry and human. The story of the temptation of Christ, it is the testing of Jesus' being human. This isn't a story of testing if he was g- God or not. It was testing his own human heart. This is important because in the church, we have to believe that Jesus is 100% God God and at the same time 100% human. Saint Augustine said I will explain it. It's very easy. God is 100% God and God is 100 or Jesus is 100% human. How do you explain that? We don't know. It just happens. 200% becomes 100%. Praise the Lord. And so so, so Jesus is in the desert and his human heart, his human temptations are being t- Tested, and it starts out by he is hungry and so the passage goes on and so as a congregation here we go and it's a huge one so help me out here the devil said to him if you are the son of god tell this stone to become bread jesus answered it is written man shall not live on bread alone the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and their splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The he left him into a more opportune time. So I have a f- friend who's he, he is this Hebraic scholar who gives me like heaps of super cool content. And he said, whenever the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Essenes would go out, go out into the desert, he says that it often falls foreshadows everything that is to come. How they respond to the temptations of their own heart plays out over and over and over and over again. So take that idea, take that concept, and let's just hold on to it, and we are going to check out the first temptation. The first temptation is a very, very human temptation. It is a temptation of food. It is a temptation of food. And a huge part of going out into the desert is going out into a place that there isn't any food. And if God doesn't show up, you do not eat. And if you do not eat, you do not survive. God and God alone brings food out in the desert. And he says he's out there for 40 days and he does not eat a single thing. And he's really hungry. And the Devil comes up to him, and he points at these stones, and he says, so if you are the son of God, just turn those stones into bread. That's easy. And then, and then Jesus said, no, you know, people don't live on bread alone. And to me, the first thing that I ask is, like, is, is Jesus, what if you turn the bread into stone? Or the other way around, the stone into bread. So what? What would possibly happen? What would go wrong if you did that? Nothing. Probably absolutely nothing at all, except the whole point of this conquest f- falls away. It's forcing. It's f- forcing something to happen that is not supposed to happen. It, it is forcing something to be that god did not provide and the desert is all about god's provision and the, the journey of the desert is all about the spiritual face the spiritual shadow that comes out who are you do you have faith in god to provide whenever there isn't anything And so if Jesus turned the stone into bread, it's forcing something to happen that is not supposed to happen, that is contrary to this experience. It is very interesting to me. It's very interesting to me because the odds are that absolutely nothing would happen at all. And so, so for me, it's like, Jesus, just go for it. You're hungry. Shouldn't you be fed? You are the Son of God. Because how many of us have has brought that same question to ourselves. If I am a child of God, if, if God's supposed to provide for me, why aren't the bills paid yet? You know, or if, if, if I am a child of God and he cares about me, why am I hungry? Or if, if he's a child of God, why are bad things happening to them? Just cause something to happen. Force God's hand. Cause it to happen. And then he responds, it isn't about the f- physical, it's about the spiritual. You see, the response of Christ today is not about the food at all. He's saying, oh, the problem here is not that I'm hungry. The problem here is that I'm seeking spiritually. Man lives on not bread alone. So how many of us whenever we are in the desert and we're hungry and we often hear the question If I were truly a child of God, and if God was actually out there, why aren't I provided for in whole? Why don't I have everything that my heart desires if I am truly a child of God? And that brings us to the second temptation of Christ, the second temptation of the human heart, and that is whenever Satan, he... Brings them to this place that, that shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth. All the kingdoms everywhere. And then he says to Jesus, you can have it all. You, you, I will give you all the authority and all the splendor and all the everything. Because it's mine. And it was given to me and I can give it to you. And the thing that's being spoken to here is the the human desire for authority, the the human desire to be on top, the human desire to, to be in charge, the human desire to not be down here but to be up here. And the devil is telling Jesus, you can have all this and I will give it to you. Remember, first of all, that the devil is tempting his human heart. Okay, because it's so easy to say, wow, come on, Satan, you're you're an idiot. This is God. He already has all that. 100% human, 100% God, 100% human. I will give you authority. I'll give you power. I'll give you all this. And these are called the temptations of Christ that he was actually tempted. And so he says, if you just worship me, I will bring you all the way to the top. And you will be awesome. And then Jesus responds by saying, it is written that you should only worship the Lord your God, the Lord alone. This is cool. And this is cool because Satan offers him power and authority and greatness. And Jesus says, no. The thing that Satan says is, worship me. And for me, just off the bat, it's like, come on. On this is a hundred percent God. He isn't going to worship Satan and kill animals and things. You know, he's not. That just doesn't. You know, um, this this picture in this this statement here isn't about you know Jesus becoming becoming a Satan Satanist. Furthermore, the definition of worship here is to. Turn towards. Turn towards me. Just shift slightly towards me. How many of us just shift slightly towards the other way to get to the top. How many of us are tempted to compromise on things that that we know aren't good, but we're able to get the authority. Furthermore, as children of God, As children of God whose grace is heaved down upon us, who who, we have the answers and we have the authority, shouldn't we be in places of power? What are the things that we compromise on? What are the things that we shift and bend in because we feel obligated, because we feel tempted to be up here and there should be others down here who have to hear the things that we have to say? authority and power.